0: I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is Yuri Levine, co-founder of Waze, the crowdsourced traffic navigation app. Drivers share real-time traffic and road information to help other users on the same route. Yuri co founded Waze in Israel in 2007, and the company was sold to Google in 2013 for $1.1 billion. Waze has roughly 150 million users and operates in countries ranging from Italy to Antarctica. Yuri is also the founder of FeeX, which also uses crowdsourced information, this time to uncover hidden fees in people's financial accounts. Prior to starting Waze, Yuri was an independent strategic consultant focused on the wireless industry. He is a graduate of Tel Aviv University. Welcome. Thank you. For those listeners who are not Wazeers, how does Waze work?
1: The magic behind Waze is that... um It uses the same platform to collect information and to share that information amongst all the drivers. So when you drive, the system knows where you are and how fast you are driving and automatically calculate based on that all the traffic jams that are out there and help the rest of the drivers to avoid them. So in general, it helps you outsmart traffic jams.
0: The system is better depending upon the number of users.
1: Right. So, so obviously this requires critical mass of users, and the more users, the better accuracy of the data is, and then it's much easier to get even more users.
0: You've used the example before of a driver from Los Angeles airport to the city, which usually takes over an hour. Uh, if they're using Waze, could take as little as 23, 26 minutes.
1: The reality is that as drivers, we don't know what we don't see, right? So you might be on the highway, on the 405 highway in that example, and you're stuck in traffic jams, and the streets are going to be uh, wide open, and you don't even know that. And because there are other drivers that are currently driving on the streets, Waze does know that and can route you to avoid these um, major traffic jams or or major accidents, or even on uh, daily routines?
0: You know, sometimes I think about uh, the people living in the houses of these once quiet streets and now with the advent of GPS systems and and Waze, all of a sudden you have all these fast cars moving through these once quiet streets You know, to avoid the highways. It's just an interesting transition to some degree.
1: So, you know, if if all the drivers would be using Waze, what the system will actually do is optimize traffic around the entire nation, right? And that will be Um, the best optimizations for everyone, but not for a single person.
0: How does one confirm the veracity of the content?
1: So the content is being automatically confirmed by the number of users, right? So, for example, if someone driving and that there is an accident, then the next driver is actually going to get an alert telling him, uh, be careful, there is an accident ahead of you, right? And, And then that next driver... Um, can confirm or, or, or basically say it's not there. And then the system basically collects this information very, very fast, depending, of course, on the number of users. And based on that determines whether or not the information is accurate or not.
0: What is the ratio of passive users, people who <laughs> simply have ways open as they're driving, versus active users who are actually populating uh, the, the maps with this information?
1: So most of the drivers are passive, But the fact that you're passive, you're still contributing the most important data, which is where you are and how fast you are driving. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is maybe the the magic of ways that while you drive and you're not doing anything in purpose to help others, you actually do help others.
0: It's interesting. My husband is a relatively even-keeled person, but one of the things that gets to him viscerally, more than most anything I've seen, is traffic. Why do you think traffic is such a core frustration for so many?
1: So, um, you know, I can try other things as well. Waiting in line is another thing.
0: But that's like traffic. It's the waiting.
1: Exactly. and So the waiting makes us uh, feel helpless and useless. I actually do hate lines a lot. And I hate traffic jams as well.
0: The transaction with Google was considered one of the largest transactions in Israeli history. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that you put Israeli technology on the global map. Very cute. But before this transaction in 2013, you were three people in a little office north of Tel Aviv working on this app. And I want to talk about those early days. It was yourself, Amir, Shinar, and Yehud Shabtai. Is that correct? That's right. It was Yehud who received a GPS system from a friend, and he tried sharing speed cameras. And there was a company called MAPA, which sent a letter saying that he violated copyright. They didn't want him using the maps. And that's when he said, well, we'll build our own. Can you talk to me about that? So,
1: so this is um, nearly accurate. Uh, uh, what happened is that I um, had a PDA with uh, with a navigation software on that, and he actually developed that part that allows people to uh, to mark where speed cams are, and he distributed it amongst friends and amongst uh, readers of a forum, and uh, and these people actually helped to create the first. Uh, I would say map of speed speed cams in Israel.
0: So, what was Mappa's issue exactly?
1: He was giving away that software for free and the ability to use the speed cams data for free. And, and they wanted to sell that for money.
0: I see. Okay. And they were a mapping company in Israel? They are Israel? a
1: mapping company in Israel. So, well, they were a mapping company in Israel. Right. Then they asked him to remove uh, that part. Uh, so, he did remove that and then he figured out, okay. I actually want to do that, but I need the map. And so maybe the same way that the user helped me to create a map of speed cams, maybe they can help me to create the map of Israel.
0: So ironically, their cease and desist letter helped to fuel the germ of Waze, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And the first version started with a blank page, or with uh, actually borderlines of Israel. And when people start driving, they actually created the roads on the map and if people are, if there are a hundred people going into one direction and there is no one going the other direction, that, uh, that the system automatically detects that that will be one-way street.
0: When you talk about starting out with a blank map of Israel and people populating it uh, using the app, who were those initial people drawing the maps of the roads in Israel?
1: So, you know, this is a this is brilliant questions because The key were who were these people, not what was the value for them. And they were people that cared about GPS and GIS and map data, and they were frustrated with the fact that maybe the map is inaccurate or outdated in their areas.
0: How did you find them?
1: Um, In um, different forums. So, so, you know, for everything that there is enthusiastic amateurs and this is their hobby— they exist online someplace.
0: So enthusiastic cartographers, basically? Um,
1: enthusiastic GPS lovers. So at the time, it was called FreeMap. And at the beginning, we had, um, you know, hundreds of users. That's it.
0: How about yourself? Would you and Ehud and Amir drive around in your car?
1: All of us did. And, and, and you know, that was funny because uh, when you realize how the system works and you really, you're driving around and you see that there is a street out there, out of the window, and it's not on the map. And so immediately you you turn into the street and you go back and forth a few times in order to create that road on the map. And, and that was pretty annoying for the family.
0: Tell me more about that. You have five children. Were they in the car with you? So or sometimes
1: somebody? it was my uh, ex-wife, sometimes it was my ex-wife and some of the kids, and they were annoyed by the fact that, uh, you know, you're wasting their time and driving around uh, and with no purpose, you know, in the same fashion that uh, no one likes to waste their time. They didn't like to waste, but I am wasting their time either.
0: How did you meet your co-founders?
1: So someone set the meeting and basically say, I have the point of view, the strategic point of view, and they have an interesting concept, and we should meet. After that, we started to meet on a regular basis, either at the office of Amir or at my uh, mom's apartment, actually. The living room was the uh, the garage where the, the most of the meeting happened at the beginning.
0: Your mom's living room was the initial office meeting point for Waze. Yes. Why'd you call it a garage?
1: Because there are no garages in Israel, and that was the perfect replacement for the garage.
0: (laughs) Speaking of Israel, uh, why was Israel an appropriate environment for a program like Waze to take off?
1: So, you know, Israel is called the startup nation, and, you know, the number of startups per capita in Israel is maybe second to the Silicon Valley, maybe even um, more than the Silicon Valley. Um, and I think that it's part of our nature and the culture that startups are um, a way to express yourself, a way to uh, uh, to do something. And and in general, there are a few things in the Israeli culture that's, uh, that that uh, supports that.
0: What for one? There's the army, where you you know are trained to be resilient and to think in an amorphous situation.
1: Right, so so you know, in the army, one of the things that you learn is the fact that losing is not an option, and if you fail, you keep on trying, um, and you take all that uh, as part of your adulthood.
0: What role did you play in the army, incidentally?
1: Um, so I was actually a software developer at the army.
0: You mentioned before how you would drive around uh, helping to create these maps, and there's a story of you helping to create the. Points where each of your potential investors lived. Can you tell that story briefly?
1: We have met uh, um, quite a lot of the of the VCs in Israel, and one of them actually liked the solution that we are building, liked ways a lot. We met them once, and we met them twice, and then they call us for all hands meeting. And um, you know, before that meeting, we figure out the home address of each one of the partners there. And we made sure that they're all on the map. And not only these houses on the map, also a few other houses on the same street. So it's not doesn't look like a, a, a mock-up, right? And during the meeting, when we explain how does it work, all of a sudden, one of the partners is asking, uh, so what you're telling me is that possible that my house is on, on the map? And I said, I don't know. Tell me where you live, and we will see, right? And, and deep inside, I knew that the house is there, right? <laughs> And we went to the map, and everyone is looking at the map, and I'm actually looking in his eyes, and I saw the dollar signs there immediately.
0: Do they know the story, by the way?
1: I told them that um, about a year ago.
0: Oh, okay. So, so this is after the sale to Google. Yes. Incidentally, while you were a consultant, did you have any feelings like, you know what, I don't feel like I'm going to be a consultant forever? Or were you perfectly fine staying a consultant? What was going on in your personal head at the time?
1: Helping other startups was uh, a waiting position. Right? So I was waiting for the right idea to come and maybe the right team to, to team up with. And when Amir and Nahoud showed up with the idea and the ability to actually create a lot of more value with uh, the real time of smartphones, uh, then I thought that this is it. Definitely, it.
0: You've filed uh, roughly fifteen patents, uh, and I saw the earliest uh, patent you filed was in nineteen ninety nine, which was for a voicemail system for a, a personal assistant provisioning. And it ranges from that to TV broadcast of live feed from mobile devices to, you know, what Waze is, which is really um, a community real-time information exchange. And so by looking at your patents, you can see kind of your own evolution uh, of Yuri Levine.
1: So, you know, definitely we evolve over time. By the way, I didn't know that I filed 15 patents. Your uh, name
0: is on 14 of them.
1: You're probably right, but I didn't. Mm. I didn't rem- remember that. Uh, there is definitely an evolution in general. I'm a revolutionary person, and I don't like large organizations. You know, sometimes I would tell a CEO that there are three types of people uh, that you don't want in your organization. You don't want a drama queen. You don't want uh, a victim, and you don't want. Uh, um um you know a nonconformist guy and you know, i am the nonconformist guy so maybe it's time for you to fire me
0: speaking of nonconformists after you sold the company to google you soon left how long were you at google before you left
1: zero days so i i wasn't at google i left the day after the acquisition
0: and how was that perceived
1: i actually started fx before that and I reduced my engagement that way to only 75% of the time. And so that was um, probably expected.
0: When did Google first approach you? When did you start to get confirmation from the buying community?
1: negotiation with Google was very very fast and they approached us and they basically um, you know put an offer on the table and we started the negotiation and that was quite fast.
0: One of the theories around Google's buying the company versus Facebook was that it was a defensive play uh, that they were denying Facebook the ability to kind of amp up their mobile social networking for for adults by buying it themselves. Can you talk to me a little bit about that period when you were talking to both Facebook and Google?
1: So uh, Um, you know, obviously we were talking to Google. The rest is more of a rumor, right? So no one has actually ever confirmed any of those. The reality is that, uh, you know, I think that Google, they like the fact that Waze is focusing on the commuting and not necessarily on the Maps. The Maps becomes a significant asset of Waze, but the service was for commuters. You know, that was probably the most appealing thing for Google at the time.
0: There was also a rumor that you had predilection towards Google versus going with Facebook because they allowed the founding team to stay in Israel, But there was a real attachment to their country. <coughs> Can you talk to me about that? So
1: it was uh, um, important for us that, uh, uh, that we will stay in Israel, or at least the, you know, the product and the engineering. So most of the employees will stay in Israel. It was important also to the employees. They didn't want to leave.
0: I mean, your homes are there in, in Israel.
1: And the reality is that if the acquirer would ask everyone to move, probably half of the people wouldn't move, and they would quit.
0: Just going back to the early days, when did you see a critical mass take shape where you said, you know, this is this is really starting to work?
1: We officially launched the service in Israel beginning of 2009, and it seems to be working very nice there. And we had uh, 20,000 users, and most of them were you know, in Tel Aviv area, and we started to see how traffic works. And then later that year, we launched in the U.S. and the rest of the world, and then it didn't work. And 2010 turns out to be the nightmare year for us because it was not good enough. We wouldn't find your home, right? We wouldn't find your office, or we wouldn't find a route that makes sense to you. And people tried that, and they believe in the dream but the reality was not there. We're I mean,
0: talking about in Massachusetts or right, Washington. Okay, everywhere, or. right. Why?
1: Um, because we didn't have enough users because the map at the beginning is not good enough. Because it takes time to mature, right? For each and every product, it takes time to mature. And it, and it was not there. And so 2010 was very, very hard year for us. It was... Um, you know, without the mission and the team, I think we might have been collapsed.
0: And, Reza, you're thinking, well, that's okay. We just need more users, and once we have more users, things will be fine. Or did you also think, hmm, you know, maybe this is the beginning of the end?
1: So so we, we knew that we need more users, but we also knew that we need to actually um, focus on um, on the conversion and the adoptions of these specific users. So we, we put all the efforts of the company in you know, in crossing that desert, collecting feedbacks from the users, collecting data and information and and metrics from the system, figuring out what's wrong, and go and fix that.
0: So, what's an example of things that you fixed that worked?
1: So, So, one of the things that we have learned is that the most important thing is for single users to actually get to see that the system improves for that person we uh, fixed problems on the map much faster in places that were users uh, than in other places. Uh, and the result was that the, uh, the map improves for them faster and faster and faster, and, and we could uh, get them more engaged. And, and what it did is that for most, more and more and more users, the first driver, ex- the first time that they drove the experience becomes good enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, and after a few good enough experience, then if all of a sudden you run into an experience that is less than good enough, uh, then you're still much more forgiving than if your first time experience is is a poor experience.
0: So, what what, what were some other changes in this uh, in this desert of 2010 that really helped to put you on the map, or <laughs> that really helped yeah. to change the so, course? So,
1: you know, realizing that the faster we move, the faster we make mistakes. Uh, the better we are doing that. And, and by the way, at the same time that we were still unsuccessful here, we have starting to see some places um, that are ramping up. Uh, so maybe uh, a few places in Latin America and maybe a few places in Europe that uh, all of a sudden they were... They were small enough that uh, that uh, we were able to create the critical mass there.
0: And how about the capital that you raised? How, how much capital did you raise from Metro Capital? So
1: on 2008, we raised uh, $12 million, and then uh, 2010, we actually approaching the point of time that we need to raise additional capital, and it's not working good enough. And that was hard. That was... Uh, you know if you think that uh, the first round was hard that was much harder and eventually we were able to raise that funds uh, it was led by microsoft at the time for how much um Over, how 25 much was- million dollars uh-huh. so, so we raised uh, um, a lot of capital at the end of 2010 and uh, in 10 and then moving into 2011 all of a sudden the dots were connected You know, all of a sudden uh, we turned out to be good enough, even in the U.S. and in a few places in Western Europe and so forth. And uh, and then somewhere in the middle of 2011, we raised additional capital from uh, Horizons and uh, Kleiner Perkins.
0: So you, you just made it over the tipping point, in a way, uh, where yes. things were, were working just well enough, right?
1: Yes. One step at the time and little steps at the beginning, and then it it started to accelerate. And at the beginning of 2010 user feedback would sounds like uh I really like the idea but it doesn't work in my place. Towards the end of the year we are starting to see more and more people that are saying hey this is working and it's actually you know tell me that there is a traffic jam and the traffic jam is actually there right and, and so um a lot of uh, uh, eureka moment aha moments that we have heard from users which was the um, I think the key driver for Mm -hmm. us to realize that we are on the right path.
0: And what was going on in your personal life at the time while this is going on professionally?
1: You know, when you go into the journey of a startup, one of the things that you don't realize is how much you're going to sacrifice. You know, you believe that you're going to change the world, and this is becoming the most important mission that you have in your life at this point of time, right? And obviously, if this is the most important mission, then uh, the rest of the missions don't get the same attention.
0: You went through a divorce during this time?
1: So I went uh, through a divorce in 2013.
0: I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Yuri Levine, co-founder of Waze, the crowdsourced traffic information service that gives users real-time data so they can better navigate their driving route. Waze was sold to Google for $1.1 billion in cash in 2013. Yuri is also the co-founder of FeeX, which helps users uncover hidden fees associated with their financial accounts through the use of crowdsourced information. I want to talk about the art or the icons, the look and feel of Waze, which seems in a way cartoon or childlike and like with the cloud-like figures moving around. What was your thinking around the look and feel of it?
1: So one of the things that we mentioned earlier, at the beginning, it's harder because the value is not there. And therefore, we build some gamification into the application, so you collect points and you collect the, uh, goodies along the, the route that you drive. And for many of the drivers, that was interesting enough to keep on driving, even though that maybe the route is not perfect, maybe the map is not perfect. We would use that in order to um, you know, send people to areas that need more drivers. And we would you know, populate them with, uh, um, with goodies on the road. So as you drive them, you actually collect more and more and more points.
0: Because it does look like an adult Candyland in a way.
1: Yes, to an extent.
0: And that was on purpose to create kind of the gaming feel to incentivize people to stay with the program. Right.
1: That was, but the, 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 the idea was that will help people to use the application more, even when it's not perfect.
0: You mentioned before that your first meetings were in your, your mom's living room. What would your mom say about Yuri as a child? You know, you mentioned that you're a nonconformist. What were you like growing up?
1: Nightmare. I would be skipping school, terrible kid, terrible teenager, uh, that uh, it's very hard for you to deal with. But for my parents, they actually, there was a better recognition of the type of person I am and the fact that uh, there are good advantages out of that.
0: What are some examples of nightmare?
1: Like uh, the, the the principal or the the teacher would be calling my parents and uh, and asking where I am, right? Or complaining about what I've done.
0: In, like what? So,
1: let's see, um, uh, driving without a license uh, for many years, disappearing from school for a period of times, like uh, um, arguing with uh, teachers and everyone.
0: And did you feel like you were a nightmare in real time? Or in retrospect?
1: In retrospect, definitely. You know, at the time, I thought that, you know, this is who I am. And, and I'm no different than the rest of the kids, even though that maybe I am. But uh, but you don't see that.
0: You spent zero days at Google, as you said, before working more full-time on FIACs. And you had mentioned at some point that in 2009, you lost 20% of your portfolio, only to realize that you had to pay on top of that a 1.5% management fee. Uh, and that was, you know, one of the... <laughs> One of the points of hurt for you to start this company. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: So so 2008 was a terrible year on the market, and I've lost on my um, study fund uh, 20%. Uh, and in addition, they charged me 1.5% management fees. And, uh, and I called them up, and I said, look, I'm uh, frustrated, right? Uh, losing money is something that I can do by myself, right? I don't need you to lose my money. Um, and But you also charged me one and a half percent, and what they did, they refund me the fees. And so, initially, I was very happy with the fact that at least I recovered some of the, the losses, right? But then I started to ask myself, why are they doing that? And I started to ask my friends, how much fees you are paying? And they didn't know. None of my friends actually know how much fees they're paying. And then I started to realize, hey, that it's a big thing here. If no one knows, and these are all smart people, and these are all adult people, and they should have known, and they don't. And I didn't know either. Um, and so that was the initial uh, thought around that, um, that uh, maybe there is something that can be done. And uh, it was only until um, 2011 that I actually found the time to start uh, building FIEX. So that was you know, the, the first indication. The second indication was uh, I was starting to explore how much fees I'm p- paying at the bank. And again, I started to ask my friends. And one of them told me that they get 90% discount on the bank fees. But I shouldn't be telling that to anyone. And I asked him why. And you say, you know, the bank told me not to tell anyone.
0: This is in Israel.
1: This is in Israel. Um, And so we started to investigate more, and we figure out that there's actually about 4% of the GDP uh, in fees in Israel. And it's the same here, 4% of the GDP. It's $600 billion of fees. That American pays every year. This is more than the construction industry, right? This is more than the entertainment industry. It's like an industry by itself, which is only fees.
0: And by the way, we don't disagree that there shouldn't, w- there should be some fee. It's just that people should know what the fee is, right? I mean, because there are professionals do- doing some management of your money and should be remunerated. But you're talking about it's egregious that you don't know sometimes what the fees are or that they're. Too too high.
1: So, definitely, there should be some sort of fees, but they should be, you know, mentioned in dollars, not in basis points or X ratio or other term, terms that you don't even know. You know, I am pretty sure that if we will walk uh, throughout this floor and we will ask people how much fees they're paying, they wouldn't know. And the reality is that an average American is going to lose about one-third of their retirement saving in fees, mm-hmm. one-third.
0: And what has been harder for you than you thought about FX? This, you know, the second time around.
1: So I mentioned two critical things. The last, the last thing that actually based on that I decided that I'm gonna do uh, FX was um, when my dad passed away about eight years ago. And when I was at my mom's place, I was actually looking at the statement two years ago at the, or three years ago at the statement of one of his accounts. And I've noticed that he's being charged a lot of money in fees. And I called them up and they said, the, um, uh, we would like to speak to him. And I said, you know what, I would like to speak to him as well, but this is going to be very hard. Because um,
0: he died a few years ago. right?
1: And, and then they said, okay, we cannot give a discount to someone that already died. And I asked them, are you sure that you can collect fees from someone that has already died? And we had three weeks of arguments, and eventually they refund the fees and discounted moving further. And I say to myself, you know, if it's not for us, I'm going to do that for our parents.
0: On a lighter note, you like to ski. Right? A lot. Tell me about that.
1: I like the speed, and I started, you know, I started late. I started only when I was 20-something. One of the things that I've promised myself is that after the acquisition, I'm going to go for the whole season skiing, and I didn't because that was after I got divorced and I didn't want to uh, be away from the kids for that period of time. So last year, I was uh, skiing about eight weeks, Mm. a week of skiing, a week at home, a week of skiing, a week at home. Where do you go? Um... Usually the Alps, but I would go anywhere, anywhere that there is good snow.
0: What else brings you joy?
1: Um, So I like to play basketball, um, and I'm riding my bicycle most of the time. That's because I hate traffic jams.
0: Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. My guest has been Yuri Levine, co-founder of Waze. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch.